everyone welcome back to shamelessly unapologetic with me your host alana pinsky so this is a very interesting episode as i am speaking with dustin miller poly innovator dustin and i had a really cool chat about our dreams and ambitions and kind of our opinions on what it's like to not go to college, our thoughts on college. And then we talk a lot more about building our own brand, being a content creator and more. I really liked Dustin's take on a lot of things when it comes to having a personal brand and having an alternative path that isn't necessarily the norms of society where you go to college and then you get a nine to five job right after. So if you relate to any of that, then I think you're going to really like this conversation between Dustin and I. So I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Hello, Dustin. Welcome to Shamelessly Unapologetic. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So this is Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator, and he's here to share a very interesting story on how he took an alternative path. And we're here to talk about that today. So Dustin, let's take it away. Yeah. So I'm very unapologetic about this because growing up, I was never much of an academic. I was definitely a scholar. I love to learn, but I always felt confined by traditional schooling. And I thought to myself, well, college will be a bit better, but not that much better. And you still have to mm-hmm. take gen eds, you still have to spend four to six years if you get two degrees. And just I feel it felt like a waste of time to me, even though I know it's beneficial for some people, like especially doctors and lawyers. But for me, I realized that if I wanted to be happy, I would need to do like multiple degrees just to get all the different information that I wanted to learn. And instead, I decided just to teach myself and spend time self-development and self-education, those being kind of mutually exclusive, but also pursuing each one. Okay, sure. So you made this decision to not go to college, I'm guessing right after high school, correct? Yeah, I think I looked into college a little bit after high school because there was still that kind of societal pressure, family pressure, and they definitely kept trying to push it in my last couple of years. And so I was like, okay, I'll look. I applied. I didn't get in. I, like, I didn't really try that hard because I didn't care yeah. that much. And I realized that I didn't care. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that that pressure because I think mm-hmm. it's really important that you, you brought up. I think in society, there is definitely this place where people expect you to go to college to get a degree that getting a degree will land you a job that you have to work a traditional nine to five life. And if you even try to be your own boss or go to take the entrepreneur out, you tend to get shamed for it. And it's really interesting that you mentioned school being a waste of time because I know I have I can relate to that a little bit because I will say now I did go to college and Mm -hmm. I definitely don't think for me, college was a waste of time. You know, I learned a lot. I got very involved. I made a lot of friends. So I was able to see college as a path for other journeys rather than getting an education. I am kind of curious to know, did you ever feel like you missed out on some of the things that college can bring besides like getting an education? I mean, I always thought about like sure the networking and making friends, but the problem with that is that I don't want to pay a hundred thousand dollars just to make friends when you can make friends at other events and stuff like that. And I and I, I'm not diluting the importance of that, but someone even told me this on my show at one point where when they network with people, you're mainly networking with people who are your peers. And so they don't know much more than you at that point. And so down the line, they may not be 
or you'd be beneficial to them. They won't be beneficial to you. It's not a win-win scenario. And the other people around you are professors and sir, you can network with them, but they have a thousand students. So it's not going to be that big of a deal versus when you're networking in like the business world, you're getting people who are better than you or you're better than them. And there's a win-win scenario there. So I I wonder if if like networking would have been a big deal or learning to certain things you can't learn outside of college. Like there's just certain things that keep for lectures and that's it. Yeah, no, totally. I definitely wish there was a gen ed requirement on how to become successful after college because there's that whole what now there are still many many students and college grads who don't know how to network who don't know how to land a job outside of college they don't know anything about the resume and i say this because i'm actually a tech recruiter so i had an intern role that i was trying to fill at my last job and I just felt so bad for all of these students that I was talking to who didn't know how to market themselves well, who didn't have the proper communication skills to interview. And I really wish that I could just step in and just say, hey, I'd love to help you, but I can't do that as a recruiter in the middle of my call with them. And I just wish that I could give them feedback. But unfortunately, due to a lot of legal reasons, companies can't give candidates feedback or else... It's, it's really weird, but it's for liabilities because people could sue you over anything that they say or if you feel like you are putting them down. I know it's it's really crazy. But yeah, no, I definitely wish that colleges taught you these life skills or they had a requirement on how to find success after college, whether you want to take the entrepreneurial route or you want to take the traditional nine to five route or whatever kind of job schedule that you're trying to encounter. But yeah, I, I agree that there's definitely a gap in there that can maybe turn people away from college because y- you still don't really learn those life skills. And mm-hmm. some degrees will teach you how to do your job, but some degrees don't. Yeah. Well, and then on top of that, too, the cost has gotten exponentially higher. And uh, for some people, they used to say, like, if you didn't know what you do in life, go to college and you can experiment there. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, it's becoming a more and more expensive investment to just be experimenting. And there's often other ways of like interning, like you're saying there, or maybe going to different companies and working for them for free, even as like some entrepreneurs say to do, and getting experience that way. And then you can try it out. And that'd be a good way to explore what you want to do. Yeah, no, totally. And so I went to grad school after I attended my undergrad. And I think for me, The reason I attended grad school was, A, I originally wanted to go into marriage and family therapy, and I also didn't feel like I was even ready to take a job after school. I was still kind of scared. So, you know, I thought going to school would solve a problem for me to avoid the situation. And I want to say that I got a degree, uh, a master's degree, that is, in family sciences, which is a combination of sociology and psychology of family functioning combined. And to be honest with you, it was a huge waste of my time because I tried to go to MFT and I applied to the MFT program there and I didn't get in. I applied to four schools, but with the University of Kentucky, that's where I went for my master's. I still got accepted into the department. So I took this alternative track. I like to call it a consolation prize, but my friend says you should call it the alternative path. We actually did a whole episode about my grad school experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it was actually filmed a couple of weeks ago. But to piggyback off what I had said in that episode, I felt like getting a master's degree was a waste of my time. 
in retrospect, because it didn't give me any kind of real world experience that I thought I was going to get. And I even get judged by employers when they say, oh, I saw you got a degree here. Why are you trying to even go into recruiting with this degree? Like, what's the point? And it's really awkward and embarrassing when people call you out on something that isn't really a big deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and they often say too, if you get a master's or PhD, you start getting super specialized on paper. And so sometimes you're overqualified for certain roles when maybe you want to work that role. It doesn't matter if you're overqualified too. Yeah, totally. So I am kind of curious to know a little bit more about how you really started, because I'm guessing you now work for yourself, correct? For the most part, I still do a day job where I teach water aerobics or swim lessons, personal training and kind of fitness related stuff. Okay, awesome, awesome. So I guess let's talk, I'm kind of curious to know a little bit about the fitness stuff too, but I guess let's talk about the Poly Innovator brand that you have going on. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious to know, what does that even mean? How did you get started with that? I'd love to know more about that. So my previous endeavor that I worked on, I started blogging. I started learning social content. I started learning a little bit of podcasting. And I realized that I wasn't going to be good enough to really do that just yet. And just to save time, I'm not going to talk too much about that old endeavor. It was just kind of like a hub of innovation I was trying to make. And I learned how to be a content creator. And I realized, okay, that was more of a company kind of brand that I wanted to do. I need to be better. I also need someone to kind of lead this kind of company if I were to make it again. Okay, well, I need to build myself up. Let's build a personal brand. And that's where Poly Innovator came about, where I wanted to build mm-hmm. a reputation around certain topics of knowledge and kind of have that thought leadership, so to speak. And at the same time, I was also pursuing my own self-development and education. And so I combined those together and sort of tried documenting my journey. So some of the first uh, videos I have on my channel, for example, are just over the educational pathway that I had created. So I was looking at colleges again when I was a little bit, a few years back after high school, uh, a few years after high school, a few years back from now. And I'm thinking, okay, if I were to go to college, what degree would I want? Well, I want to work in like smart city development and business and that kind of thing. Well, if I'm going to do that, I would need technology degree, business degree, and somehow combine them together. Well, in the future too, I want to work in some other kind of field. I I don't want to limit myself down to one particular niche or stress specialization. So I realized, okay, if I can't do it the traditional way where I want to be divergent and a polymath, as if you will, I wanted to create my own path. So I created Poly Innovators, the foundation for all the future careers that I wanted to work in. So you did like blogging and you said you had a channel. So what was the content specifically about? Was it more just about business development or was it about something unrelated? So on the old one or new one? Uh, Both. Yeah. Well, in both cases, actually, it was around innovation and self-development. And then beyond that, the Poly Innovator name came from this idea of being a polymath of innovation. And for those who don't know, a polymath is someone like Leonardo da Vinci, someone who has many different learnings and skills in many different areas. And so you can think of it almost like a multi-specialist. So someone who does many things. And it's not like a jack of all trades where they say like, oh, master of none. The actual full saying goes in, uh, but sometimes also better than a master of one. So when you're a jack of all trades, you can dabble, put your hands on all the different cookie jars. And it's not a bad thing by spreading your wings, so to speak. It's also giving you a chance to be interdisciplinary. So one skill over here can be brought over to this side and you can find some new way of combining them and creating a new pathway for yourself. Okay, cool. So how do you as a poly innovator kind of manage your time for all the different kinds of responsibilities that you do within your content? What's Mm -hmm. your process like for that? 
Very nerdy. <laughs> yeah, so, go, go ahead and explain. <laughs> yeah, so there's a tool that I always rave about called Notion. Notion.so is the URL. Yes, okay. Yeah, I've and heard of it. Notion is really interesting because you can create your own like life operating system in there. And so I've been going in there and creating various databases to organize that. For example, my own show that I host, I interview people. One of the first things I did is I created a CRM in that database so I can track all the different guests I have and have mm -hmm. like timers too. Like I have a timer saying like four months from now, reach out, catch back up with that person. Or here's the email information, personality type, all the information I might need when interviewing somebody. And so it's interesting how you can really organize each facet of your life and make it much more systematized. And if you can automate those systems, it makes the creation process much more easy to do, especially when you might be feeling burned out or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. I guess what is your like favorite thing about being a poly innovator is like a certain kind of content that you like focusing on more of the other. Cause I know for me, my YouTube channel is something that I tend to prioritize over my other things. I guess you could say I'm technically a poly innovator in a sense when I'm, I don't know if I am or not. I see you're making good face, but it's I'm like, I, 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 okay. I was like, man, cause I manage a lot of content. I, you know, I manage yeah. my YouTube channel, my podcast, my only fans, my Instagram. I have a lot going on, even with TikTok. It's a lot. And yeah, it, and you mentioned burn and, and you mentioned burnout um, because that is something that I've actually experienced recently where I've actually been very lazy with posting pictures on my Instagram. Sometimes I don't always want to make a TikTok video, but I think for me, my YouTube channel is something that I absolutely love doing and I can't get away with not being consistent on it because mm -hmm. people expect me to upload things every single week. And with OnlyFans, I have to be uploading at least five times a week because people are paying for that. Yeah. So I wanted to know, how do you manage everything so you don't get burnout? So I know you mentioned you use Notion as a tool to plan, but has there been a point where you've had like a breakdown or you felt burnt oh, yeah. out? What have you done to cope with that? Because I think that's really important for people who are listening, especially if they are content creators, because I do have content creators who yeah. do listen to my podcast and sometimes they don't know how to deal with it. So first and foremost, I got close to it this past year. Like winter time's always really bad on me, the seasonal affective disorder, and this makes me feel sad. Today's the first sunny day this past week or so. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, I finally feel good today. But all the other days I was drained. I'm not good in the winter time. I know I need to plan out usually that like in the winter time, I may be putting less content out and that's okay. Or maybe I could batch it earlier on in the year and kind yeah. of spread it out that way. But there's also this point of take care of yourself. Sure, people might be expect, maybe OnlyFans might be an exception to this rule, but for YouTube, for example, it's okay to slack off a little bit. It's okay to change your uh, repetitions. In fact, last year, my uh, freaking Gary Vee got me all thinking oh, about yes. doing 100 pieces of content a day. And the cool thing is with that, we can, we can go on a tangent later about that, but that's not actually that <laughs> insane to do if you yeah. know how to repurpose as well as translate and do all kinds of stuff. But I started creating a strategy. Like, how can I do a hundred pieces of content a day without burning out? And because I did burn out in 2017 when I was transitioning over from that company-based brand and that personal brand, I also had my like wisdom teeth pulled out. I had a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And so everything piled up at the end of the year. The season turned to winter. I got bummed from the season and it all compounded to the white point. I stopped doing everything for months. And just this past month too, I stopped the last two weeks because I was like, I can't do anymore. I'm too tired. But um 
it's just a matter of having a self-awareness, acting upon it and making sure that you are respectful of yourself. Sure. There's content. Sure. People are expecting things from you, but it's okay to take a break and just communicate that. Yeah. And I really admire what you said about it's okay to have self-awareness or practice self-awareness that is, and to take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we as creators tend to underestimate the people that um, enjoy our content, thinking that they're not going to understand when, shit gets hard for us. Um, sometimes I find myself apologizing, saying, hey, I have to take a break. With YouTube, back in May, I didn't upload for two weeks just because I was in a really bad headspace. I was dealing with anxiety and some depression, and I and I still battle with that as well. I'm actually currently in therapy for it. But yeah, I guess sometimes we always feel like there's a sense of letting the people who care about our content down. But I think at the end of the day, there's still people, we have to remember that there's still people too who also go through the exact same thing that we do. And I think we also as creators need to not underestimate the people who do care about our content and knowing that they're a lot more understanding than we think. Yeah. Well, and there's also the point of preparing to like, if you can batch out a whole bunch, like, thought leadership, it's not just creating, it's also curating information. So one mm-hmm. thing I'm preparing for right now is sharing a whole bunch of polymath links on various social channels in order to build up the thought leadership in that area. Cause I have a lot of great materials that I've read and watched that I want to share with people. And the other thing is I systematized my series. And so what you're doing with your YouTube channel, I, I did a quick run through today. I watched a little bit last time too. That oh, I well, thank out. you. <laughs> and it's interesting because there is a lot of diversity in your content and that's great. That's something I like. I always hate it when people say you have to niche down because that's kind of anti my ethos of being a mm-hmm. polymath or becoming a polymath in my case. Um, it's one of those things where I want to be multidisciplinary. So you and I both are multidisciplinary and we should not be ashamed of that. But in our society, especially since the industrial revolution, we've been pushed into this narrow-minded specialist mindset. That's one of the reasons why we're talking about education earlier. Yeah. Because education is telling you to do one thing. But I think we both realized that wasn't really quite for us. Even if you went to college, you still chose your own path afterwards. Look at all the content you're putting out now. Yeah. You're choosing that path. And yeah. now we're shamelessly unapologetic for it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it's funny how you talked about like niching down. So it's funny when I first started my YouTube channel, it was all over the place because I used to start off with beauty content because I went down a rabbit hole of watching a lot of beauty gurus on YouTube and I got very addicted to makeup, wanted to buy a lot of makeup. And then I decided I want to start my own makeup channel. So that's kind of like how I got started on YouTube. But it was a mess Mm -hmm. and it wasn't getting the kind of attention that it deserved. So I actually um, worked with somebody. I invested in myself for my YouTube channel. And I was told that niching down is important. And she still lives by this um, ethos today. And I think having a niche can make sense in some capacities but there are people who say you don't need to niche down if you're able to be relatable and make relevant content that people can relate to or people are going to find valuable they will still come to you and I guess for me I'm okay with having a little bit of a niche because like my niche specifically is navigating life and dating in San Francisco. So I make a lot of content about SF and then, you know, every once, like once a month, I talk about a video where it's relating to singleness and dating. Mm -hmm. And then I've kind of started to sprinkle in a little bit of anti MLM content in there because I went down a whole rabbit hole with there too this past year. 
Um, and that was something that I was also very affected by because I used to be in an MLM and that destroyed me for my last year of grad school. Well, and just put the, I just wanted to say this, it's underneath your whole umbrella though. And that's the thing where I realized that polymathy was my umbrella. And for you, it's just self-care and making sure you have relationships and just having the self-relationship, relationship with others and that kind of thing. That's like your umbrella there. And so you're able to put everything underneath there. And once we both found that umbrella to work in, all the sub niches are what we can work off of. And the one thing about niching down that the YouTubers always say, do it, do it, do it, is because of the algorithm and the SEO. And that's yeah. a point to make. And yeah. sure, you'll get more ranking that way. But as long as you rank your videos well, you're going to show up in whatever searches people are going to find. Even if they're not looking for that niche, you'll yeah. still find something there and you'll make people happy in the long run. Exactly. I think SEO is definitely something that you cannot disregard at all. Um, I always take my SEO and ranking seriously. And I think you're right, because when you make a YouTube video, you want to make it something that's that's searchable. Or it has to have some sort of compelling title that's going to capture people's attention where the algorithm may randomly push it out. And there'll be some keywords that might get thrown in there. But I know when people find my videos where I make a title that's not searchable, I've made a title that said, I'm done. Mm -hmm. That's not a searchable title. Like, I'm done. But it is like, clickbait. So the click through it's rate click, might be exactly. high. Exactly. It's exactly. It's clickbait, but it's an honest clickbait. It gets people to click on the video, but nobody is searching for I'm done. Like what does that even mean? Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's a fair point with what you make. Well, and going back to my story there, I was working on systematizing my content and I was yeah. doing these separate silos. I was doing videos and written and audio all in these separate different silos basically. And so all my work was going into each one of these separately. When in actuality, a lot of the content I was talking about is the same across the board. Mm -hmm. So like right now, are you recording video or just audio? It's both. Okay, so there you go. You have video there. You can put it on YouTube and Facebook and DTube and all these different video platforms. And you could also cut out the audio, put it on your anchor and put it, it that gets distributed everywhere. Yeah. And you can also transcribe it and make a blog post. And so it's a prime exactly. example of that repurposing. But for me, I started blogging first back in 2012 and I only started doing polycasts in 2017 and then 2018 is when I started doing videos. So I have much more experience with writing. So for me, I wanted to start with writing. So my main series is called this Omni Content, which is based around being omni-channel or multi-channel. So I create a blog post, I turn that into a video, I turn that into a polycast, and I can do basically like snippets and clips from that. And you can break it up and make 100 pieces of content from that way. So you use the term omni-channel and polycast. Could you kind of define that a little bit more for those who are listening who may not know what that means? Yeah. So omni-channel is, it's kind of like multi-channel. They're both very diverse. So you're putting yourself on every platform. It's almost like you have an omnipresence, so to speak. Okay. Uh, and you can, if you want to get like religious in a way, it's a, a, omnipotent or whatever the term is for that. But omni meaning all, you're on all channels. That also means like e-commerce and stuff like that, which I'm not quite there yet, but I'm trying to be. And then, okay. so I, I guess you could say I'm multi-channel now, but <laughs> omni-channel <laughs> is the goal. So that's what kind of yeah. the idea of omni-content. And then podcast is something I use instead of the word podcast. I was never a big fan of Apple. So podcast originated from the term iPod podcast. And that's where the actual term came from. But before that, did it, it really? Called, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I and didn't know that. Okay. So, and not only that, podcast didn't really mean much for me, especially since I don't like Apple personally, but I, it didn't really resonate with the show. Poly, meaning much or many in ancient Greek, 
is also the idea of polymath yeah. or polyamory and all these different terms, poly meaning many things. And so for my show, I have many different series that I do, short form, medium form, long form. I'd have many different topics and many different kinds of people. So poly really fits that polycast idea. Okay, interesting. No, I, I think that's really clever with how you reinvented the term for podcasts as polycast and it, it fits your brand very well. And I'm, I'm going to assume that you're not on Apple podcast. <laughs> I, I avoided it like the plague, but I finally got convinced to do it purely because other platforms uses Apple. So I think like Stitcher, not Stitcher, but like iHeartRadio and some mm -hmm. of the other ones that I wanted to be on needed Apple. So I'm on Apple, but I was like grudgingly doing it. <laughs> it's funny stitcher is actually the one platform that i'm, I'm not on i actually mm -hmm. don't know how to broadcast it onto stitcher i'll, I'll look into it at a later time anchor but is a little bit limited i think that might be why Some yeah hosts do yeah and i i use anchor to uh to broadcast everything but i think it's a it's a great platform to host a podcast or polycast and you still I get the it. kind of reach that you that you need mm-hmm I used it. I, I, I left because they have some weirdness in their terms of service when it comes to like, do you really own your content or like, do they own it a little bit? If you start looking at it, the details there, but beyond that, they have great distribution. It's free. I, I noticed you had an ad on one of yours for using anchor, which is yeah, a great way to get started. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a great way to get started with sponsors for us. I only really know Buzzsprout and podcast.co, which is who I use the last one. Um, they have some ways of getting sponsors, but a lot of the other tools don't. And so you're kind of on your own that way. And Anchor yeah. and Buzzsprout are some of the best ones for helping you get started with sponsorships. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I checked out your website. So you have like a whole landing page where it seems like you have more ownership of your episodes. That's clever. I definitely need to do that because I think what you say is like, oh, do you actually own your podcast episodes or does the hosting platform do? So that's something I'll have to look at. So I also wanted to learn a little bit more about some of the other work that you do aside from being um, a poly innovator. So you mentioned you have a day job and you do personal training too. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to learn a little bit more how you got started and maybe if there's a way that you're able to even tie in your personal brand with those jobs as well. Yeah. So some of the ideas behind Poly Innovator, just being this multidisciplinary person, were inspired by my work history. So my first company I ever worked for, I still worked for it. And okay. it's because I, and well, part-time basically, but okay. I started yeah. out as a lifeguard, became a swim instructor, became a pool manager, became a water books instructor, water boot camp instructor, uh, <laughs> a water arthritis-based class instructor, and then eventually personal trainer as well. And I still teach at least a few of those now. I stopped lifeguarding and whatnot, but at one point I held six to eight positions at that company. And it was that divergent work life that really kind of made me, or centric, I think it's a better word for it. It's a centric work life that made me like thrive in that kind of craziness. And so that's what made me really think, okay, polymathy would be a good route for that. And then down the line, I do want to create more exercise-based content for Poly Innovator, which will introduce what I already know. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what got you one? Was it because of the old part time? Or I guess it's not old, you still have it. But was the part time job the inspiration becoming a personal trainer? Were you always a fitness junkie? Yeah, I'm asking you know, because I'm yeah, into fitness. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw your your profile, your fitness person too. So it's all good. I, I'm happy to share any knowledge that way. I uh, it's funny because growing up, I sucked at sports. I yeah. was always a scrawny kid. And I always got picked on for it. 
And then I got stronger and just kind of kept going with it. And eventually, because of my knowledge, I became a personal trainer. And so it was more of like, I already teach in the pool and I already have good knowledge. So the personal training boss was like, hey, come join me up here. And I started teaching people up there and it was good. And beyond that, it's just one of those things too, where I enjoy being able to push myself and doing mm-hmm. push-ups or exercises. It's a good way to get past that breaking point. And when you learn that discipline from exercise, you can apply it to other parts of your life as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I love how versatile you are with managing all sorts of these three things combined. I know for me, it's hard when I have a full-time job. So I'm in between jobs right now, but my main focus is recruiting. So when I lost my job early 2020, I was a COVID layoff. It was very hard for me to, um, even before I had this job, I had another, I had, I've had full-time other full-time jobs while I had a YouTube channel, but it definitely is frustrating when you don't have enough time to do all of your your side work, the work that you really want to focus on, your content creation work, I should say, when you only have the weekends or maybe late nights to do it. Mm-hmm. And when I lost, so when, back to when I lost my job earlier this year, I had another company reach out to me with a part-time opportunity. And I thought to myself, I kind of like this part-time path because there are some days where I have off. I don't have to work every single day. And it gives me two free week, two free days of the week to do whatever I want to get shit done. And I felt like I had a lot of structure. And now that I got, and then I got laid off from that job, funny enough. So I um, am just scrambling to find that structure. But I think for me is, I try to hold myself accountable and I'd love to know how you kind of hear you hold yourself accountable to getting your shit done too. But I think, you know, as far as deadlines and not wanting to disappoint people who expect content out of you, I know that motivates me to, and it, there's like that pressure to put it out there, but it's a good pressure because you're holding yourself accountable to get that stuff out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's, I've also, like I said, I spent a lot of time with self-development and a lot of that came down to habits and systems. And when I say systems, I don't just mean like tools that you get online, like notion. I also mean like the, the system for my exercise. So I got laid off from my work because the whole place shut down because you don't need mm. a gym center, basically, or recreation center during a COVID pandemic or like yeah. a global pandemic. And so I, I was only laid off for a couple months until they opened back up. But during that time, I was able to work for clients outside their, at their houses, basically. So I was able to transition, okay, to get some income in. And so, but the, the point I wanted to make is that my workout habit is a system I built around working. Since I already work at a recreation center, I could just go upstairs into the gym area and work out. I just, I have that ability. Yeah. And when the whole place shut down. Not only did I lose my work, but my workout habit got disrupted. My system that I had built got disrupted. And I have another system of like, what exercises can I do? Most of my exercises are body weight or dumbbells. I can do that at home. But I had to rebuild that habit from the ground up, essentially. And luckily, I have a pretty strong system. So I was able to build it up within a couple of weeks, but other people weren't able to do it for a couple of months or even three months. And you want to think that same system or same habit and apply it to other areas. So like when you lose, when you work a 40 hour week job, 
and then you're going home and working on your stuff at night and in the weekends, there's going to be this disconnect of like, I only have this much time. Yeah. I have an hour, two hours. Okay, great. I'm going to work super hard. And you get into the deep work as Cal Newport says, and you get really focused. Well, when you start working part-time, you have a lot more open schedule. And I don't remember what principle it is, but there's a law that says your task will expand for how much time you allow it. So if you give yeah. a task three hours, it's going to take three hours. But if you give it 30 minutes, it'll take 30 minutes or at least close to it. And so when you start to work less, even if you are working hard still, your habits might change. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I think now that I'm in between jobs and it's funny enough because I kind of am looking to go back to full-time work just because I got a lot of debt that I got to pay off. Let's be honest. So I just need the more money for it. But, um, and I live in the most expensive city in the country, but the reason I am going back to full-time job, as I mentioned, is because I just have to be realistic with given my financial situation and how 2020 has really affected my life in such a negative way. It's been exhausting. I've experienced a lot of tears and hardship, and I'm trying to hope that I'm sorry. And I hope that 2021 will be the year where I'll get to bounce back from everything. But I'm and aside from the financial situation, I want to have some structure in my day and having that full time job will allow me to do that. But at the same time, between you and me and to anyone that's listening, I definitely do not intend to stay in the full time job for the rest of my life because my goal is to go towards the entrepreneurial route. I want to be a full-time YouTuber. I want to rely on YouTube sponsorships, AdSense, um, affiliate links, my OnlyFans, my podcast as my sources of income because it's a passion project. And I don't ever want people to think that I'm doing this for the money because I'm not. Because if I was, I would have stopped a very <laughs> long time ago. I'm on year three and a half of doing YouTube and I'm still not monetized. And that's okay because yeah. at the end of the day, my folk, exactly. And my focus is to provide valuable content to people, make them happy. Because again, if I found out that like what I was doing, the videos that I make wasn't really to help people, it was just for myself, then, you know, again, I, I wouldn't be doing any of this. Yeah. It's all about that value proposition. And you and I both seem to have that kind of need of like sharing information. We have different ideas and stuff we can share with people. We might as well. And like I was saying, you shouldn't do the monetization yet because if you monetize too early, then people are going to get kind of like, oh, okay, put off by that. But you are smart. I'm not telling you what to do or anything like that. I'm just saying that it is interesting how a lot of people try to monetize early and then they die out because of it. But if you're smart about it and do like OnlyFans where people are choosing to support you that way or doing sponsorships like with Anchor or with affiliate links, stuff like that that's it's a nice easy way of doing it that's not too scummy as you could say yeah and for anyone who's listening i know i have an anchor ad in all my episodes so if you want to know a little fun fact i'm making pennies off of those sponsorships so don't think that i am making big bucks with this podcast i really yes like the little supplemental income is nice but I have a lot of shit that I want to say that I personally don't feel is relevant to put on my YouTube channel. And that was like one of the reasons as to why I started this podcast to begin with, because I want to be able to talk about life and give my following mm -hmm. uh, a different side of me and get to know me more on a personal level. And I felt like the podcast was the best place to do that. 
Yeah. Do you ever get really personal in your podcast or do you kind of focus more on, I guess, the personal development and any kind of information that you're trying to provide value for? I guess I haven't really gotten a chance to dive deep into your podcast and like what you like to talk about on it. Yeah. So there's multiple series, like I was mentioning earlier. And because of that, it gives me the freedom to do all of that. So I'll just go over the series real quick. I have the polycast or on and on the content, which are just like the medium chunk ones. And I just say polycast because it's just a random episode that I might feel like doing like a finale or something like that. Mm -hmm. And those are usually more creative deliberately. So I just make them with like a script maybe or something like that, or going off the cuff. Maybe if I have a lot of information that I know well, like with swimming, I can go off the on a tangent like that like instantly. But um the omni content's my main series. So I often have a blog post that turns into a video and I use that as like the script. So it has kind of like a format. And yeah. then I have the fireside micro polycast, which are like a little mini episode, three to nine minutes so people can listen to it on the train or whatever. And those are off the cuff. And I just talk kind of like a rant, kind of like I'm doing right now, but maybe a little bit more slowly. And <laughs> having, sometimes I have a, a really cool idea that I want to get down. If anything, they're partially for me too. So I can go back to five years from now and listen to it. Like, oh yeah, I remember that idea. I can build something off of it now or something like that. And so if I have an idea, like the future of social media was one of them one day, or how I do the polycast interviews was another fireside micro polycast I made, just giving off information or whatever. And then finally, I have the interviews, which I talk to multidisciplinary people. So entrepreneurs or CEOs or people like yourself who do a lot of content creation. And I end up finding very interesting information about them. And if we go into nice deep tangents and get really meta. And so I can get personal on the micropolycast or the interviews, but I usually focus on the other people in the interviews. Okay. Well, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit similar to to my approach. I think in the next few weeks, I'll probably take a break from having guests and get back to some solo content. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think that's really great. And how you structured I think, you know, when you have a podcast, the beauty of it is that it doesn't actually really need to have structure. I mean, I think you want to have like a specific topic to talk about for each episode and mm. you want to stay on topic. I think one thing that I see in feedback from reviews is when people have guests, they get off topic from the title and they feel clickbaited. And I look at that and I say, okay, I don't want to be that podcaster or polycaster who is getting off topic with their guests and not even talking about what they came here for the episode. That's will, the only thing I say in terms of structure. I will counter that because... Okay, go ahead. My show is about being multidisciplinary. It's about going off on those tangents. So literally yeah. the whole point is to exemplify the, di the diversification of your skills, so to speak. So even if there might be a certain theme on the title that the whole episode will probably be around because usually there's some kind of theme, whether it's like the mind or exercise or whatever the person's really skill is. Oftentimes, there's some kind of tangent in there that probably is off topic, technically. Yeah. But, or like some really cool fact that I found out about that person during my research. And I'm like, I want to talk about that. And then they get all excited and they go on a tangent. That may not be related to the intro, but it's really interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I don't disagree with you. I think where I was coming from is maybe a place of like, oh, you're trying to please people. Because that is mm. definitely a flaw that I have is sometimes I try to be a people pleaser. But then I realized, especially after doing YouTube, you can't please everybody. I actually yes. had 
I actually had someone comment on my video earlier today. It was a pretty negative comment. I didn't delete it because it wasn't that horrible, but they said, I really wanted to give your videos a chance and be in and come in with an open mind, but whatever. Oh my God. This was a bunch of fluff and nonsense. You should just leave San Francisco. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that you don't enjoy my videos. Nobody's forcing you to watch them. Why'd you comment? Uh, <laughs> right. I didn't say that, but I was like, nobody's forcing you to watch them. Uh, San Francisco is more than the homelessness and the and the poop on the street because this person just didn't like that I didn't go into depth about homelessness. And the whole video was actually about like why living in San Francisco sucks. But I made it very lighthearted. I addressed homelessness, but I didn't go into full detail about it because that's not what the whole video was about. And I personally don't feel confident enough in my capabilities to talk about the homelessness crisis in San Francisco. I would love to maybe do a video on that in the future and maybe sit down with somebody who is more um, knowledgeable about the topic. I think that could be a really great video. But this person was just really angry that I didn't yeah. talk about the homelessness in the way that they wanted to. And specifically, like in the negative aspects, because this person just really doesn't like that there's homelessness and poop on the streets. I get it. I don't like that either. It's well, sad and maybe they're homeless and they just felt like they weren't appreciated, like they weren't talked about or something like that. I don't know. You, I don't you know. definitely did a, a positive thing of just being positive and replying back and peeing the head up, so to speak. Yeah. And then I said, you know, you can make your own videos and talk about why you don't like living in San Francisco. And I wish you happiness in life and less hate because it was a pretty nasty comment. You're attacking my channel and my videos. Um, and it's like, I mean, they weren't attacking me personally, but like when you come for my content like that, I'm just yeah. going to be like, okay, whatever. I, I'm not going to be too offended by that because that's your own opinion. And most people who commented on the video were pretty positive with the feedback. Yeah. Well, and something happened to me a month or two ago where someone that was reputable, I should say in my area of expertise came at me and was like, oh man, your, your branding is really off. You don't have any cohesion or some, something like that, would, which is something I've worked on, making sure it's very omnipresent, so to speak, but whatever. And the person was kind of attacking my ego. And like, I try to be very proactive and not be egotistical when someone's trying to give me feedback. Yeah. But the way they went about it felt like they were prying into it. And the person did later apologize for it and whatnot. It's a super cool person. I just felt like I couldn't be proactive there because it just kept feeling like I was getting attacked because of my content. Like I had a, I felt like I needed to be defensive, even if I didn't necessarily have to be. And so I get what you mean, where like when someone's attacking your content, it's like your baby. You have to protect it in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it's like if people want to attack my content, you know, I'm open to listening. And this is like really important as a content creator. You mm -hmm. have to be able to take feedback really well. And like some feedback is actually going to be constructive and useful. So if someone comments on my video and say, hey, the music was way too loud in the background. Oh, yeah. Could you like turn it down next time? I say, sure, no problem. Great feedback. Easy thing to act upon. You're going to have those mishaps in life. Um, and you just kind of have to learn from it and just try to, you know, not let it happen again if you're able to control it. Yeah. But yeah, but back to just taking feedback. Um. Yeah, some feedback is going to be reasonable and things that you can totally work on. And then then there are people out there who are just going to be a dick and shit on you because they're having a bad day or their life sucks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Makes sense. And it's just one of those things, too, where I think you handle it well. So that's good.
Yeah, I always try to handle, and if it gets way too nasty where it's attacking me, I've only got like one or two really malicious comments that have been a personal attack on me, then I just delete and block. I I have no energy to give that a reaction or a response. There are so many comments that I get on YouTube that are so easy to reply back to in a kind way. And most of them don't even reply back after that. That's something I've noticed. And for the ones who do reply back and then they are even more fired up, I'll either not reply back or if it's way too malicious, then I just block and delete. I'm like, okay, you know, what I said yeah. was perfectly reasonable and I was very polite to you. And if you're just going to still be nasty and childish, then you have no place in my community. I, I'm curious to know, do you ever get a lot of backlash with, um, your personal brands and how you got started? The only thing I would say is that there's, like I said, there's that societal norm of being a specialist, but David Epstein wrote a book called range. And it's been a very famous book that came out this past couple of years. It's, it's really good when it comes to being multidisciplinary and something that he says in the book is that specialization is for insects because that's what they do in order to accomplish their goals. But as human beings, there's actually studies that have been proven that like we as homo sapiens have survived when the other human related species didn't because we're able to do generalist things. We were able to be a generalist and do many different things and mm -hmm. we're able to adapt to our situations. And when you are a polymath or multi-potentialite or jack of all trades or generalist, whatever term you want to identify with, when you are someone who is multidisciplinary, you're able to adapt to situations better and actually find newer solutions in the intersection of knowledge areas. Awesome. I, I love that. I think that's great. And I think like what I really enjoyed about this episode is like the theme that I'm kind of seeing in this whole um, conversation is how versatility can get you very far in life and why we need to practice this more. And it can really show us um, who we are as people. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and um the one thing is that I started building a personal brand around is this idea, this modular degree, this self-education endeavor that I created to be my own target lift to college where I was wanting to pursue my own education in a way. Yeah, absolutely. So we are kind of running out of time. So I guess for any last words, um, really quick, what advice would you say or give to somebody who may want to try to be more poly-innovative? Sorry, my cat is meowing. <laughs> You're fine. Pursue the endeavors that you want to do, even if society kind of pushes you against it or like family and whatnot. I have family who support me. I have family who kind of pushes against me and want me to go get a full-time job. But I know from my own self-awareness and reflection that pursuing my own path was the right way for me. Even from a young age, I wanted to be a CEO. And like I would tell people I wanted to be a businessman when I was like nine. And so I knew that I wanted to pursue my own path. But other people may not have that self-awareness just yet. You can train it, work on that. Absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you. I think the self-awareness component is, it's key. And it takes some time to get there. Um, you just got to be patient with yourself. Yeah. And then Dustin, if people want to see more of you or hear more of you, where can they find you? So I alluded to that whole self-education endeavor, which is what my most of my topics have been around besides just polymathy. And so if people want to learn more about that or learn more about polymathy or learn more about me, you can go to the polyinnovator.space 
It's my website. I'm actually working on the new version right now, right after this call, I'm going to hop back on and keep working on it. And so there'll be a new site here soon as well. And then you can also check out the Polymath Polycast, which is my show. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dustin, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. This has been such a great conversation that I think a lot of people will find really useful later on in life. And for those of y'all who are also listening, if you would like to submit um, your shameless unapologetic experience to this podcast, feel free to email me at shamelesslyunapologeticpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at shamelesslyunapologetic. And with that, I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye. Bye.